0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 78 of the MTB podcast presented and hosted by Worldwide Cyclery. My name is Jeff and I am joined by my co-host Jared and Liam. And today we are going to tell you things about mountain bikes and stuff. And what else, Jared? Yeah, mountain and <laughs> stuff, exactly. <laughs> that's uh, that's the point of the uh, MTB podcast. So uh, this episode, we're going to pack it with a, a few things. Quick little update on the unique and philanthropic thing that we, as in Worldwide Cyclery, are doing for Black Friday and Cyber Monday and nobody else is doing, uh, which is, I think, interesting and I'm, I'm really proud of. My mom sent me an email saying she was proud of me, so, so that was cool. Uh, We're also going to talk about uh, a number of things, recent videos we made, upcoming videos we have for our YouTube channel, some wet weather riding tips, uh, some new products we've seen come out that are pretty rad in the mountain bike world, some different brands and whatnot. Uh, My new bike that I did a ridiculous modification to, well, I didn't necessarily do it, you did it, Liam. I did it. Liam did it, and I got
1: some hate on the Instagram. Yeah, yeah, we posted a, a
0: <laughs> reel, which is basically just a 15 second video on Instagram of what we did, and uh, yeah, people freaked out. I had to put a pinned comment on there so people could read that and, and Reasonably understand. so, I mean, it was yeah. People were wild. people were people were losing it. It was pretty interesting. I think it's got like. Over 300,000 views now. Did you look? It's I'm, not,
1: I'm not up to date recently, yeah. but it, yeah, it's Instagram up
0: there. really liked it and showed it to a lot of mountain bikers, and people seem to enjoy it and get all amped up about it. So that's cool. So we're going to talk about that. Um, I'm ex- really excited about that new bike. I've been riding it a lot. We're going to answer a few audience questions if we have time. Uh, those are going to be around the topics of... One suspension, heavier spring rate with compression as opposed to lower spring rate with more compression. Uh, Another one is going to be about tire inserts such as CushCore. And then another one is going to be about have you ever loved a bike that is quote unquote bad for you, which kind of goes into being comfortable on an old bike. And uh, yeah, then we're going to touch on what bikes we're riding personally and and where and whatnot. And uh, that's what's going to be on this episode number 78 I remembered it this time. It's in Mm -hmm. all caps because last time I said the wrong episode. (laughs) So uh, they put it in all caps for me. So let's do it. So... What are we doing for Black Friday and Cyber Monday? Well, typically it's you know one of the few times a year that we do a sale on the WorldWideCyclery.com website, and that is always awesome. It's always uh, fun to do that and partake in the crazy retail madness that somehow the United States has invented. Is Black Black Friday's got to be a United States thing, right?
2: I think it's primarily, a, yeah, U.S. type deal. Yeah, yeah. we yeah, must I have mean,
0: invented that. That seems very American. The story
1: is uh, end of the year. Black Friday, getting out of the red, creating profit, getting your margins up. That's yeah. the Black Friday name. Well, sounds like a Wall Street USA thing.
0: Could be. Yeah, Hallmark style, made up holidays to spend money. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds very sounds very greedy capitalist, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> Buying stuff for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, anyways, it's fun. Uh, this year, we decided to kind of flip it on its head and do something that we've never done before. And, and rather than doing a sale, we're actually going to do a fundraiser of sorts, um, the fundraiser is going to be for NICA, the National Interscholastic Cycling Association. That is the nonprofit organization that's been around since 2009 that is making mountain biking an accredited sport in middle schools and high schools all over the U.S., um, over 30 states, over 25,000 riders, uh, pretty incredible organization that I really admire because myself, if I didn't get into riding mountain bikes as a kid, then my life would probably be very different. What about you, Jared?
2: hundred percent. When did yeah. you ride mountain bikes for the first time? When did I ride mountain bikes for the first time? Probably uh, middle school or so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably like maybe... 10 years old or something like that fell in love and the rest is history absolutely yeah, yeah. i mean i wish i had something like nika when i was in high school yeah. I mean, instead of running cross country yeah trying. i feel like
0: everybody i mean so nike has been around since 2009 it's still not you know in every state by any means or every high school but it's it's getting there it's growing really fast as as the years go by and uh yeah i mean everyone that hears about it is like man i wish i had that in high school like, mm-hmm. did you wish you had that in high school liam
1: yeah Yeah, I did. Instead, (laughs) I was building dirt jumps, being more of a uh, delinquent, and I could have been in an organized, getting credit for high school sport. Yeah. That led me to where I am today, just sooner, but I didn't. So. Exactly.
0: So, yeah, I, I admire Nika. Um, it's it's very well known in the bike industry, but we actually ran a poll, one on YouTube community, one on Instagram, uh, ended up getting about 9000 votes between the two of them. And actually, about 63 percent of the people that voted said they'd never heard of Nika, which I thought was surprising. Mm hmm. Because yeah, when you live in the bike industry, you just know what NICA is. But so part of the you know fundraiser that we're doing is not just to raise money, which by the way the goal is to raise over ten thousand dollars, and I'm confident we'll hit that. Um, hopefully more than plenty more than ten thousand dollars. But uh, it's also about just bringing awareness to what NICA is. If you're in a state and you know you. Um, you know, you are in high school or you have kids in high school and you don't have NICA, contact them, figure it out, get it in your school, um, learn about it, uh, help them out, support them. It's a great organization. So what we're doing is basically every single product that sells on our website Friday to Monday, $5 will be donated To Um, Our gift cards are 10% off and each gift card sold $5 goes to Nika. The reason behind us discounting gift cards in particular is because our inventory levels uh, like everyone else in the entire bicycle industry right now, because of the pandemic, it's been a tough year. The supply chain has been pretty trash. So everyone's really operating off of pretty subpar inventory levels at best. A lot of stuff is out of stock and it's hit or miss. And because of that, It makes a lot of sense to discount gift cards, and that way you can hold on to that gift card, support NYCA once you purchase it, and then you can use that gift card when what you're waiting for comes back in stock um, or until next season when, you know, everyone needs to re-up on their bike stuff. So that's what we're doing for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. uh, We're intending this podcast to hit in your ears on Black Friday, so you're hearing it on that computer, um, buy some things, support Nike, or just don't. Just go to Nike's website and read about what they're doing. You can also do that too, because the idea is that we just get some awareness about what Nike is and what that organization is doing, uh, which is really cool. So aside from that, let's go and do some mountain bike tech stuff. Um, first off, we did a recent video about how to upgrade the fork on your mountain bike, the entire fork, And we broke that out into chapters, and we're going to touch on each chapter real briefly to kind of give you a high level 101 view of that video. Um, chapters,
2: Jared. The chapters are steer tube size, travel, wheel size, offset, axle type, brake mounts, and how much travel air versus coil.
0: How much travel? how much and should
1: you spend?
2: How much do you spend?
0: Uh, how much should you spend I in versus Scoil? <laughs> 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 How
2: much did you spend yes. uh, like low end coil versus high end and vice versa? Yeah, and, and yeah, totally. As
0: well. Yeah. So to quickly, you know, the video is what f- almost 15 minutes long. It goes over every one of those things. So if you are in need of upgrading your fork and want to upgrade it, we tried to put together a really good resource with that video. And then the blog article that accompanies it has, you know, images and much more text and even more nitty gritty details. Did you
1: write that, Liam? You yeah, did, right? I, yeah. I think I wrote the first one, then I rewrote this one as well. So
0: Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, let's let's run through quickly. Steer tube size.
1: What's the 101? Um, pretty much as a most common, we have a straight steer, which is inch and an eighth, or a tapered steer, which is an inch and an eighth up top, and it tapers larger to an inch and a half down at uh, the bottom of the fork. Um, so you pretty much need to know what steer tube type you have, and match it yep yeah and those are the two most common
0: types and on modern day i think it's what like 2010 is when tapered steerers started becoming totally like table stakes on nicer mountain bikes that's what i remember yeah i remember 2009
1: race season i started seeing them pop up on like brand new bikes and then even when i was at a specialized shop five and a half years ago or so they're starting to pop up on like fifteen dollar fifteen hundred rock hoppers so yeah yeah because it showed way, up on yeah. higher
0: end stuff and then like you know trickled down like kind of everything does so yeah. tapered steers are you know you pretty much on any relevantly new mountain bike that's not old it's got that you know yeah. and that's not under a thousand bucks maybe right like the bikes under that price point the yeah. only times you might see a straight steer uh, on something rare that's still new would be like a titanium hardtail, you know, or a steel hardtail, but even that, it's even pretty then, if, if dirt they're jump meant, bikes, steel dirt yeah. jump bike.
1: But if they're meant for a suspension fork, they're normally coming with a tapered steer, so yeah. double check what you have, look it up, give us a call if you don't know. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a huge one.
0: You got to get the right one there. Uh, That does kind of correlate to your frame too, right? So like if you're on rare occasion, if you have a straight steer on your bike now and you want to upgrade your fork to a tapered, um, you can do that sometimes, but not very often. What is it? A 44 mil ID head tube? Like some of those come with inset cups that are, Mm -hmm. that are straight steer and then you can put an external cup and make it tapered. Yeah. That's headsets. That's that's we're getting into headsets, and that's like that's a, like a, other... a nine-hour podcast on its own. <laughs> <laughs> um, so steer tube size; those are the two most common ones. Make sure you get the right one for your bike. Travel. Jared, do you remember what we said about travel in that video?
2: I believe you mentioned something about you want to stay around 20 millimeters within the travel your bike was designed for.
0: Yep. Yeah,
2: totally. Because, I mean, if you go and if your bike was engineered for
0: something like 140 and you throw 160 on it, like what are the two things that happen?
1: Head angle, bottom bracket height. Seat tube angle gets slacker, head tube angle gets slacker, bottom bracket height gets farther away from the ground.
0: Yeah, lifts up. Yeah. So. yeah.
1: Most time you enjoy the slack head tube and might or might not notice the seat tube angle or the bottom bracket.
0: Yep. But, you know, modern bikes, they're all pretty dialed in. And the engineers that designed them yeah. definitely knew what they were doing. And they decided to put a, something like a certain travel fork on it for a mm-hmm. reason. So we usually don't tell people to change away from that unless you have some specific reasons. Like, you, you know, you have a 140 bike and it's got 140 in the back. And you're like, man, I just really wish it was a little higher and a little slacker. And then throwing something like a 150 or 160, it's okay but don't push it more than 20 millimeters, which usually ends up in the comments being like this hilarious joke, you know? It's like, oh, you finally told every 13-year-old kid that he can't (laughs) put a Fox 40 on his dirt jump bike. (laughs) Um, Actually, when we were talking about that, we showed an image of Logan Malale, a good friend of ours and former employee. He had an intense, is it an M9? What is that?
1: No, yeah, like their newest think, downhill, yeah.
0: downhill bike. Um, I actually asked him to take his Fox 40 and slide the stanchions down to the bottom crown and completely remove the top <laughs> crown and then clamp it all together. I mean, obviously, this was a total joke. It was. It's very confusing. A lot of people commented and saw that and were like, what? what, what, what? Um, it looks hilarious. It <laughs> looks, looks like a chopper, chopper for bike. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. We posted on Instagram a while ago and explained it a little bit more and... Um, yeah, I mean, we really wanted it just for this video and it ended up looking pretty funny.
1: Travel, stay within 20. Yep. Maybe even modern bikes, stay within 10. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And then,
2: you know, a lot like a tendency for people is like they're upgrading the fork and they're like, oh, I'm upgrading my fork. I should get more travel. Right. But like, it's not necessarily true. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Upgrades
0: about weight, performance, adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. Much more so than just travel.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, next up is wheel size. That's a pretty easy one on huh, Jared.
2: It is. Yeah. You so typically tell them about the, it. <laughs> you typically want to get the wheel size that your bike already has. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that is, that one's pretty simple. Um, The only confusing thing there is a lot of forks now and the title of them will say like 27.5 plus slash 29, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a 27.5 plus, you need that fork. But if you have a regular 27.5, you just need the fork that only says 27.5. Right. does not contain the plus sign.
2: Although these new forks like the redesigned Arch on the 38 and 36, Liam, correct me if I'm wrong, but they can accommodate the plus size tires now or pretty close to it. 27...
1: So like a 27.5 accommodates a 27 plus size tire?
2: I think it's pretty close now.
1: I think so. I guess
0: it depends on how big a plus we're talking. Yeah. 2.6 yeah. 2. is probably fine, but 2.8 might be pushing it. Yeah. yeah. 2.8 Schwalbe would yeah. rub, and a 2.8 Maxxis would have an inch of clearance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that,
0: that, was, that was a joke about the inconsistency of the measurements across different tire brands yeah. if you didn't catch it. Um, because that again could be a different podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, wheel size. That's pretty. That one's yeah. pretty simple. That's things like steer tube travel, wheel size, um, typically even offset and axle type. Those are all going to be generally in the title of the fork when you're buying the thing. So, like if you're looking and researching online, like it will say it all of those specs right in the title because they're so vital to get right that you know that those are important. So you can't really mix that one up. Um, the next thing is offset, which sometimes pops up in the title. We made a video about offset. It is still confusing, but it's getting less confusing because people are starting to just settle on the newer offsets. Liam, you are well-versed in offset. So give us a rundown.
1: Uh, offset is how far out your front wheel mounts from the parallel line of your steer tube of your frame to where the same parallel line of where your axle mounts Typically, it's about 50-ish millimeters. Gary Fisher moved that to a 51-mil uh, kind of when 29ers got popular. Um, and that's kind of where it sat for, what, 10 years of 29ers? Yeah, 10 or
0: 15 years of, like, um, 29ers were like that, yep.
1: And then what really pushed it was Transitions, SBG, Geometry. That really pushed kind of the whole package of longer-reach, re- Slacker head tube angle, reduced fork offset, and steeper seat tube angles that kind of accommodated for a whole new riding style that's, like, now adapted as a modern long-low slack. But, uh yeah, offset. It's how far out your fork mounts from the plane of your steer tube. Um, typically, you just match what you have as with the other things. Um, if you do have a relatively newer, I'd say maybe 2016, 2017, and newer, you might go from 51 mil offset to reduced offset. Um, Also, forks like the new RockShox Zeb and RockShox SID Ultimate, the 120 mil, are only offered in the 44 offset. So you don't really have a choice if you want that fork. Yep. Um, But if you do, pretty much just stick to what your bike came with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's usually what I say. If you can figure
1: out what your bike came with.
2: Typically on the geometry chart, right? If you look up your bike. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Typically. Yeah. Offset or a couple other terms
0: for it. Yeah. Yeah. I've been out of that game for a while, but Jared, you probably are more frequently dealing with people who are trying to purchase various components and upgrades and parts Mm -hmm. for their bikes, trying to figure out what size their existing bike has and they don't know. So they're referring to the bike brand's website and... Mm -hmm. Is there any information there? Because I remember when I did a lot more customer support and talked to people all day upgrading their bikes, it was a disaster. Like, no matter what bike you had, you probably had a nine out of 10 chance there, like, you couldn't figure out any of the information on it. Maybe you could figure yeah. out the geo, but you couldn't figure yeah. out, like, very much. You couldn't figure out, like, the rear axle size. It was oh,
2: like, well, why? that's just like a crapshoot. But I mean, yeah. I would say offset, is it was like definitely more prevalent in geometry charts nowadays because yeah. I think yeah. that's a lot good. more people are looking for that for sure
1: offset or fork rake you might find out a fork rake on Mm. your GH. yeah that's true Mm -hmm. and then that leads into axle size jared there you go axle type axle type
2: what are we talking about we're talking about boost non-boost wow quick release just
0: getting the right one so that your hub works getting the right one you can put your front wheel
2: on your new fork and it actually works exactly (laughs) yeah exactly kind of just again getting what your bike was designed for unless you are willing and able to get a new front wheel for your bike. Yeah. Um, But yeah. There's the rare chance where you have a 15 mil by
1: 100 front axle and the fork you want is only available in 15 by 110 or boost spacing and you can get a boost adapter so you can get that nice, shiny, updated new fork and still use your front wheel. Totally. Yeah. But what you
0: meant by the boost adapter is like the actual end caps for the hub.
1: No, problem solvers just make some five mil spacers you put on either side and a oh, five really? mil five mm-hmm. mil disc.
2: Like uh, a spacer for your spacer for your yeah. disc with longer
1: rotor bolts. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you don't actually have to get hub adapters. No, it doesn't matter nice. on your hub for the problem solvers one. So I would suggest getting hub adapters if you have like a stance hub or D T Swiss hub yeah. or because that's, something like, like kind of more traditional, um, right? Yeah.
0: Like, that's the more proper way to do it is, like, actually convert your hub to the correct, correct size yeah, mm-hmm. with their branded hub yeah. adapters. yeah.
1: Um, or I think MRP makes a couple for... The Better Boost end cap yeah. or something like that, yeah. But yeah, Problem yeah. Solvers does make one that's kind of universal. So nice. um, little Band-Aid while you purchase a new wheel set or save up for one, so...
0: Yeah, yeah, it seems like, you know, in, in my experience, people that are upgrading their fork, you know, they're... Most of the time, figure all this stuff out, takes a little bit, you know, make communicate with us a bit or, you know, our staff and figuring out what they need, what sizes, all that. On the rare occasion, you find people who are in a situation where it's like, well, I have this 26 inch bike and the fork is terrible and I really need a new fork, but I'm going to be getting a 27.5 bike next year. And so I'm just going to buy a 27.5 fork for my 26 bike and leave the 26 wheel on there. Or maybe not. Maybe I'll just buy a 27.5 front wheel and make it a mullet bike for a year until I get the 27.5 <laughs> bike next year. And then I'm going to move this fork and wheel over to that bike.
2: You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Get it all the time. <laughs> People are just like, well, I just want to upgrade this bike. And like, yeah, I've seen 27.5 bikes. Seems like a cool idea. I want to make my bike like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's where it's getting a little confusing and
0: challenging but yeah we did mention the video too and this actually got brought up i think during steer tubes right i mean and steer tubes i was talking about threaded steer tubes which man those haven't been around since like 2002 so those those are the kind of things or just one inch right one inch threaded and then yeah one that was before i was born in eight maybe threaded yeah they're they're old but but people <laughs> still have bikes with that that they ride and and you know it's like well if your bike has that it is so old it's not worth upgrading the fork like just ride it as is, be happy with it and, you know, get your eye on some new bikes. Um, cause yeah, there's just no point in putting like fresh new modern components on, on a really old bike with a bunch of outdated quote unquote standards as they call them in the bike industry. Um, brake mounts, this one's fairly simple, right? I mean, if you're talking modern day bikes, they're all disc brake. Um, for the most part, they're now all post mounts. I haven't seen an IS fork adapter in like Five years, maybe. We're is
1: fork is pretty rare. Yeah, yeah.
0: It used to be common though. When yeah. Disc brakes first came out. That's all there was.
1: Definitely, yeah. Yeah. I think my commuter bike still has is disc mounts on it. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. We showed that in the video for yeah. for reference. Um. But yeah, most modern bikes are going to use a post mount, which which makes more sense, and then the caliper just mounts directly to the fork, depending on the rotor size and depending on if it's a post mount 160, 180, or 200. Which, if it's a post mount 180, that means a 180 rotor works on there with no adapter like the caliper just mounts right on there there you go if you're trying to use a post mount 180 with a 200 rotor then you need the adapter like what just a 20 mil adapter yep um try not to mix rotors adapters and calipers different brands so if you got shimano brakes use shimano adapters and shimano rotors and if you got sram brakes use sram rotors and sram adapters and there you go (laughs) um i don't know why people always want to mix those up but it's just You run into the weirdest problems when you do that. So try to always just keep the brands the same um, for those three things, and that helps. So, yeah, brake mounts. All that's covered in the video with more pictures and stuff too. Um, let's see. How much, question mark, which is like how much money, and then air versus coil. So that's a total matter of opinion when it comes to how much money you want to spend on your new fork, what you have on there now.
1: Uh, and sometimes you're know, limited say. on how much you can spend too right depending on what your above categories matches your bikes right if you have a straight steer fork at 120 mil travel on a 26 or 27 five wheel yeah with a quick release axle you're going to kind of be topped out at like a 350 dollar price point for a fork yeah yeah so you can't true. really spend more mm-hmm. um now if you're upgrading a bike that's you know maybe Totally
0: modern tapered steer. Yeah,
1: Yeah. maybe six years old, seven years old, but it has a tapered steer through axle, twenty nine front wheel. You could spend a thousand, but is it worth spending a thousand? It's up to you, really. Yeah, sky's the limit. I think I think when it comes
0: to forks, you probably hit diminishing returns at like would be the Fox Performance Elite level, which is in the same exact internals and everything Mm -hmm. as the as the factory stuff. The only difference is Kashima, which. Jared, do you love Kashima or what? <laughs> He's got a huge smile on his face when I said Kashima. Well, yeah, I, who doesn't love Kashima? I mean, come on. Um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, how how much can you spend, man? That's there's a million videos talking yeah. about the various features, but yeah, once you kind of get above that like seven hundred and fifty dollar level, you're not really gaining too much more performance. Maybe just some adjustments that may or may not be relevant to your riding style. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah.
1: And if you and there are a couple of forks that maybe fit that model, but aren't super high end, but give you great performance. Like first thing that comes to mind is a Marzocchi. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marzocchi, you can get pretty high end performance at a, you know, slightly cheaper price point.
2: And relatively upgradable too, right? Like you could get a $700 fork and upgrade it to be just like a thousand dollar fork and totally, you know, yep. True.
0: All right. Well, cool. There you go. I mean, I guess the last quick thing, air versus coil. Oh boy just go to youtube and watch a bunch yeah. of videos <laughs> that's that's hard it's i don't even know how to talk about it anymore cuz it's you know air springs have come such a long way that they've gotten so supple so progressive so tunable it's really hard to recommend a coil but then again some people still swear by how supple coils are and they sometimes like how they feel and there's like coil hybrids and then things like the push ACS3 right which is mm-hmm. like still gives you the ability to change the progressivity of the fork but still retain the coil feel Oh, man, you're getting really into the nerdy side of things, so refer to YouTube and, and all else. It's how to upgrade your fork. Let's now discuss uh, upcoming videos. SRAM Eagle Access
1: install. Uh, that was just like a POV video for you, right, Liam? Yep. Yeah, I just uh, went through with the GoPro and kind of went through the steps on installing a full access drive chain with a crank, derailleur, cassette, shifter chain, how to set up, set it up, how to pair the electronics, set the limits on your derailleur and your B-tension, um, so. Yeah. And how did the angles come out and the views? Of the I thing? had two GoPros on my chest and on my head, <laughs> as well as a still, and went back with another still camera to get up close angles. Awesome. because we did- Should be covered. Okay,
0: because <laughs> we did this video <laughs> before and uh, people loved it and i think a lot of people upgraded access and really enjoyed it and it was helpful and informative and a lot of people just wanted to watch it because it's tram access and it's a beautiful piece of electronic drivetrain. Um, but a lot of people commented to the tune of like several dozen people like what was it like the gopro was a
1: little too low so sometimes your hands were out of this out of the frame or something yeah i also think that was a gopro six or seven yeah, so now we're on an eight or nine, and we have this thing called Super View. Yeah,
0: we're getting fancy
1: over and here. And it makes it's, it's uh, a learning curve, but make,
0: <laughs> it makes, makes that it view much
1: better. So yeah,
0: so so there
1: you go. We're, we
0: redid the video because of the comments, and because we know it's a useful video, and we had to make it better. So it's a, it's a never-ending task of constantly making all the media we produce better. Um, yeah. And then quickly, another video we have coming out in the next couple of weeks is how to make your bike better, which I think it was like how to upgrade your bike. I don't remember what mm-hmm. the title of that I was, so. right? How to upgrade your bike. Yeah. The idea there was, you know, upgrading your bike is really fun. You know, you could change all sorts of various different things. And it is so situational depending on obviously your budget and then what bike you have and what's currently on it. And, you know, upgrading a, a $2,000 mountain bike versus a bike that, you know, came off the showroom floor at 7500 is just totally different. So we tried to lay, break that down and we tried to break out the most impactful and the most popular upgrades. And then how that kind of breaks into the different categories and price points of bikes. So we did our best to break it down into segments that hopefully will be helpful and valuable and, and, and probably much more, you know, if, if you're a little bit more novice, just getting into the sport, just experimenting with various different upgrades and kind of in that decision process of like, what do I upgrade next? Cause it's so fun and I want to change it. Like you talk to people that do that, right?
2: All the time.
0: Yeah. And they're just like, I'm, yeah. I got money burning to hold my pocket. I want to make this bike
2: better. Exactly. It and all it, depends on what's on there right now. Yeah.
0: Cause it, it, it's addicting. Like you, you do something like change to some really nice tires and you're your just mind is blown, like a change of ride experience puts a huge smile on your face. Um, you do something like upgrading your rear shock and or your fork or both at the same time. And it's like a whole new bike. So oh, yeah. it gets addicting. So we, you know, we tried to break down what to upgrade, when to upgrade it, um, various different things. So hopefully, hopefully it helps. Um, I think the more novice riders will benefit from it. If you're really far down the path of a bike nerd, then you probably already know and understand the various different upgrades and which ones work better and, and whatnot. Um, And now real quickly, I don't think we should spend too much time on this because the next topic was wet weather and colder temperature tips from three kids who grew up and still live in Southern California. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, we have ridden wind, wet weather. I lived in Pennsylvania for a year and raced a whole season out there and just muck mud and then also even rode bikes on a patch of ice and like tried turning and, and fell on my face. And, you know, there's a tip. If you're actually riding on a patch of ice, do not turn or just
1: don't even ride on it. Just avoid it at all costs. It hurts really bad. It's hard to ride on. <laughs> yep. Um, and then it, it does occasionally, you know, drop below the perfect 75 degrees in SoCal, yeah. especially in the mountains. so
2: Yeah, it's true.
1: That was like, well, we made one video with like cold
0: weather riding gear a couple of years ago. And, you know, we'd put like some pretty lightweight gear people, and yeah, people are just... Just like yeah, that might work in your fifty-five degree "quote unquote" cold weather, you Cali boy. And I was like, okay, well, that's fair. That's yeah, okay,
1: yeah. <laughs> very fair. I, I don't know. I mean, we don't. I don't have a huge amount of tips but on my end. Jared does spend time in Lake Arrowhead. It's true. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah true. What do you do differently out there other than just wear more functional cold um, weather clothes?
2: Well, I actually, I would say layering is one of my biggest tips mm, like yeah. at least for down here and up there because you know it typically will start with a jacket and like long sleeve or something like that and maybe you want to shed one of the layers and then you want to have something underneath that still works um so that's nice also like warmer gloves is huge up there like riding yeah. when it's like 30 something degrees like you definitely want warmer gloves because if you can't feel your brake levers and your shifter like yeah that's yep. no fun
1: another tip on gloves that actually i learned from riding moto in the desert when it was uh, like over new years when it's snowing yep is wearing uh like a rubber uh glove underneath your riding glove mm. and it pretty much works as a windbreaker and blocks out all of your wind and then you have your riding glove on top of that that still didn't, has texture didn't end up too sweaty doing that i mean it's it kind of depends on it the does, sure. but yeah i mean yeah. if you're if you're in 30 or under Yeah, it is is what it
0: is. Because that's kind of like a cheat, right? Instead of wearing like a thicker, warmer, more like ski style glove, then you can just do that, like regular pair of gloves with the like surgical
1: gloves underneath. Yeah, like 100% brisker. It's not an extremely cold glove. Probably goes down to like 45 degrees. Yeah, I'd say if you're like under 50s, so like freezing, it's a good glove. Yeah. Um, And then you throw a rubber glove under that and you might get a couple more degrees out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: know hand up actually... Uh, is making some pretty nice cold weather stuff and they actually sent a couple pairs over this way for us to test out, which I haven't tested out yet because it's not cold here Uh, (laughs) but they look really (laughs) nice I I put them on and they had kind of a similar idea to the 100% brisker in the sense that like the palm and like the fingers what you're touching things with right is is still fairly thin and then the more cushioning and you know wind blocking stuff is on the top so it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're wearing a snowboard glove and you can't feel your shifter your dropper post lever your brake lever whatever so I don't know that's cool I mean it those to not even exist right like 100% briskers and the hand up ones and probably a few other brands make some good ones that didn't it didn't exist it was either just like a normal glove or you wore a ski glove and it was yep. way too thick so yeah good gloves that makes a huge difference good gloves um i don't know i put some of those shoe covers on one time when i was riding in pennsylvania and it was really cold yep. those seemed to work made my feet sweaty but i could also feel my toes which was nice so those those good, were
1: good those cycling are cool. caps warm caps or uh yeah
0: under the helmet true neck yeah. uh Neck Gators Gators mm-hmm. A baklava or a ba- balaclava ba- ba- Balaclava I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not attempting that. To- <laughs> Baklava and a balaclava—they're two like totally different things. Greek one of them is a Greek dessert, yeah. and one of them is a thing <laughs> to wear over your face to keep warm. Um, Forty-five North actually is is a pretty impressive brand when it comes to really technical, high-end, high-quality cold weather riding gear. They make all sorts of fancy boots, uh, gloves, balaclavas, baklavas. They make tons those of things stuff for dude. your hands that like go over oh, the bars, yeah, right? Bar, mitts, bar
2: mitts. pogies. Mm-hmm. Aren't those called pogies? or bar mitts or mm. something like that. <laughs> I do not live in Minnesota. So That's like really
0: hardcore. So 45 North is, you know, born and bred from Minnesota. So they know how to ride bikes in the snow and cold weather. So if you're looking for some really high-end gear, um, definitely Google that brand and look at their selection. They make some very, very impressive stuff when it comes to like serious cold weather, like below freezing and still trying to ride your bike, which is good. good so for you. Yeah, and if you're doing that, props. <laughs> I would I would probably just hang up the bike and you know go snowboarding, which I think a lot of the, a lot of people do. But now they're on Zwift. Yeah, or Zwift, right? Or yeah. Peloton, yeah, true. Those are those All are right. good wintertime things. Uh, a couple new products or a few new products and brands that we've
1: seen Three. come out. Mm-hmm. Uh PNW Loam Dropper, Liam, what is it? It is a newest dropper offering from PNW. Um kind of taking over the spot of their previous bachelor post. So the loam dropper is now their highest level post. Um retails for 199 The really cool visual thing about this dropper post that sets it apart from any other dropper post is you can actually change out the seal collar head silicone color. So it comes with a black one, but they have like eight different colors, I believe. Um yeah, blue, desert dune, which is like tan, gray, green, orange, uh, purple, red, teal, um, to choose from. So you yeah. can match little
0: rubber collar. sits really flush in there. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it it's on the seal head.
1: Feature. Yeah, the bottom of the post um, sticks out just above your frame and it just so happens to match their loam lever and their loam grips. Mm, so you have a full wow. loam line mm-hmm. and I can match matchy, all matchy. All Your PNW products, um, it is does have an adjustable air cartridge. Um, they were able to shorten the insertion length and the overall length on the post, um, nice. something you see pretty common. It's a 30.9, 316, and 349 diameters in a 125, 150, 170, and 200 mil travel. And each post is shimmable down by five millimeters. Meaning and that's Five millimeter increments five millimeter increments So you could have a 200 mil dropper post, but you can only really fit 190 or 185 mil and you can make that happen just by Pulling up the seal head collar adjusting a little shim in there sliding it back down And now you can uh, have the most drop possible on your bike. So pretty cool They have that also on the Rainier v3 post. So yeah
0: Feature rich, um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I like PNW. I'm a fan of the brand and the uh, people that own it. Aaron and Emily are just really nice, good humans and people that I like. And I like people in the bike industry that are cool. They actually have a product too. Their um, handlebars, right? Mm-hmm. There's a range bar, correct? Is that the name of it? Yeah, that's the, the one that. Bar. And it's five percent of each bar sold goes to Nike.
1: Five percent or five dollars? Let's double check. Something like that. Um, yeah, but that's
0: another brand that's you know supporting Nike, the same one that we're doing the fundraiser with over the next uh, few days here. Um, so yeah. Anyways, just a plug there because I like I like really the people behind P and I don't know. In in my eyes, these days, the longer I'm in the bike industry, the more I care about the people behind the brands and the ethics and the way they treat you know customers and and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so PNW gets my vote there.
1: Five percent, five percent. It is the range bar, right? Yep, range bar five yeah. percent goes to Nika. Nice. nice,
0: all right, sweet. Uh, next up, one up EDC light, one up components.
1: Yeah, so the EDC tool's been super popular for a couple years now, storing uh, multi tool and some accessories in your steer tube, but you used to have to thread your steer tube first, then 1up made a stem that made it so you did not have to thread your steer tube. You just use their stem and their headset tightening um, unit. And now the EDC Lite uh, doesn't do any of that. You still use your fork's star nut. You don't need any extra tools. It comes with a longer, uh, basically threaded nut that you pound down your star nut. So you have room to fit your edc light above your star nut Um I actually saw jesse melomid install it while riding his gravel bike on a fire road Uh, He took his headset cap off pounded down the star nut put the edc light on and tightened it Um, that is ridiculous. (laughs) I would not suggest installing yours like that. He is a paid professional Yeah, good (laughs) disclaimer legal team disclaimer. Um, disclaimer yeah it's a cool tool it holds the edc one up tool which has like a two 2.5 three four five six and eight millimeter allens a t25 torx and a flathead screwdriver and i believe you can still remove a uh, master link or a quick link with the multi-tool if you kind of position it right i think there's a video on how to do that so pretty cool tool um yeah storage on your bike sweet
0: yeah one up makes a lot of really cool high-end fancy products that are one-upping other things it's funny that's their name because they're like beholden to that but so far they're fine they're staying they're literally doing it like everything they make is legitimately better than the other stuff that's
1: out there you kind of have to yeah but that's some pressure that's some pressure with that name the next step i believe in them Our next product i gave it away
0: Does that need to get cut out of the podcast? <laughs> I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> okay, the next brand we're going to talk about here, uh, Title MTB. I just wanted to bring up Title MTB because it's a, a newer brand for us to be carrying and selling, and uh, it is a component brand they are making wheels seat posts mostly bars and stems i think are like the main things that we're carrying um it's run by brett reader and crew so if you don't know who brett reader is uh, I, I have his stats right here he's a red bull rampage champion seven times crankworks champion four times slope style world champion and an x games gold medalist so he is quite the decorated mountain biker um just go watch videos of him he's unbelievably good at riding a bike like one of the best people in the world hands down Uh, but they're making their designs look incredible like the branding the logos um yeah everything's just super nice and it's also uh well it was in stock it already sold out but we're getting more of it it's one of the few like nice high-end stem and bar brands that have good stock right now which is hard to come by these days so title mtb well it's a newer brand worth checking out for sure um What else we got? Envy Alloy M6 slash M7. Well, M6 and the M7 stem. It's like a first alloy stem from Envy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh,
1: M6 is the... 31.8 lighter trail as following in their product line. M6 is like a trail. Yeah. M7 is like Enduro, so it's thirty-five-zero clamp. Got it. Which aligns with their bars. Sweet. Yeah. Fully
0: machined stem. Looks really nice. Um, Definitely. Actually, it is forged then machined. Oh. Ooh. Forged and machined. Okay. Oh, yeah, you're right. Now that I think about it, I remember they had that really fancy photo on their website yeah. of all that whole manufacturing process.
1: Um, yeah, it's still a little expensive on the more expensive side for alloy stem, but it's about $100 cheaper than the carbon stem. So yeah. what here, is the price? I think it's 120 125? 125 mm-hmm. So I think their carbon stems are like 200 That's pretty 200 respectable, plus. though,
0: for the weight and the looks and the oh, quality yeah. of that thing. No, it looks really
1: yeah. good. There's some cool features. Um, I'd say it's on par with price. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Nice. Cool. Uh yeah, real quick, let's go over my new ranger. So I built up a Revel Ranger. Um, I don't actually build any of my bikes. Liam does because he's an incredible mechanic and it's better he does that than me. Um, and one of the things him and I were brainstorming on was the drivetrain because a ranger is a downcountry bike, so it's 115 mil travel in the back, 120 in the front, 29-inch wheels. Um Pretty lightweight. I think mine's like twenty six nine, right? Twenty six pounds nine ounces. Is what I weighed it at uh, with pedals and water bottle cage. So that's all kitted out, um, and with two point four tires front and rear. So uh, I did. I didn't really feel it necessary to have the full uh, ten to fifty two tooth range on the Eagle cassette. But ever since that Gold Eagle cassette came out, I really wanted one. But I didn't want the fifty two tooth cog. So Liam chopped it off with a Dremel, yep, and we put it on the interwebs, and people people freaked out because <laughs> I think so. a lot. The problem was we didn't we didn't really put in the caption what the hell was going on, so well, a lot of people for good reason. Yeah, yeah, that probably added to the <laughs> it, it being just very confusing. So that's why I had to go on go on there and like comment. Um, and put a pinned comment of you know what, what actually happened and, and what was going on. We did not ruin the cassette. Um, we just chopped off that large cog um, to save weight because I'm a weight weenie and I wanted to make the bike light. And then not only did it save weight, then it allowed us to attach an 11 speed uh, derailleur cage to the derailleur, which is shorter, which is also lighter and has more clearance. So now I got an 11 speed drivetrain with a gold cassette, and I wanted the gold one because a lot of people were like, Why don't you just run an 11 speed drivetrain? <laughs> well, because one, I wanted it to be SRAM Eagle and I wanted it to be gold, but I wanted it to be 11 speed, and this was the only possible way to make this happen. So we didn't ruin the cassette. I'm still using it, I'm going to use it for its whole life. Uh, what did we do with the cog? Did we throw it into the wall like a ninja star?
1: I think I kept, I held on to it for like a day and then. I was cleaning up, and it made its way to the trash can, so no. I should have maybe saved it. A few it. people asked to have yeah. that. We should have sold that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was to save weight. You didn't need the range, and for everyone who commented, why didn't we just unpin the whole cassette backing yeah. piece because it's a machine steel 11 cogs, which are all the gold ones, and then the largest cog is actually a pinned-on alloy cog. Well, you need the bottom part of that alloy cog, alloy cog, to make contact with your XD freehub body so it actually stays on the bike. So we had to keep that whole cog on in order to use the cassette and make it usable. Yeah. So I think in total we saved about a hundred grams between the derailleur cage Which and Which is almost the a quarter pound,
0: like that's a decent amount or, of weight. Or
1: a Royale with cheese. <laughs> <laughs> what did you just say? A Royale it's, with cheese. It's from Pulp Fiction, oh, a quarter pounder in French. Oh, okay. In France. Gotcha.
0: Yep. I didn't see that one. That one went over my head. But <laughs> it was still a funny because it Hopefully was cheese. Hopefully some people get it. Yeah. Yeah. Some people will get it. A lot of people have seen Pulp Fiction. I'm probably in the minority there. People who haven't seen that. Yeah, I mean, it looks amazing now. I like it. I like that it's lighter, and I don't know. I It's mean, custom. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. I like just doing unique things, and that one was a little weird and off the wall, but in the scheme of things, it wasn't horribly hard. Like, you just uh-huh. cut the cog off and then threw a different cage on, and now it looks sweet, mm-hmm. shaved some weight, got an 11-speed Eagle drivetrain. Um, we just drove in the low screw on the derailleur so that the shifter just doesn't have all the same clicks it just is missing one click basically Mm -hmm. so that's how that works if you're getting really nerdy and thinking about that but yeah works good i've been having so much fun on that bike i'm Utterly impressed with the RockShox SID suspension, the new stuff, and how supple it is. Um, It just feels amazing like for a bike like that. I've never had a bike with that short of travel that's that light and efficient and fast that still just feels capable and doesn't beat you up. So
1: downcountry bikes are coming a long way across all the brands, and the suspension's a big part of that. So can I ask you one question on that bike? Yep. What is your favorite part on it? And if you could change anything about it, what would you change? That's two questions. Uh, I mean, those questions are ridiculous. <laughs> What's your favorite part? What's my, your favorite part? My
0: favorite part is the gold cassette. That's 11 speed because okay. I'm the only person that has that.
1: Okay. If you could change anything, what would it be? Because
0: uh,
1: in your situation, it might not be necessarily something that's in production, but maybe something you want that. You don't have.
0: Mm-hmm. I would I would maybe change the I we did both hubs gold. I would maybe change the hub and spoke anodized combination that I did.
1: So just colors, no actual physical part change. I don't
0: think so. I wish Industry Nine made a twenty eight point five millimeter wide alloy rim that was the same <laughs> weight as the one with the twenty seven <laughs> mil internal width. That doesn't exist, and I want that. You uh, want an
2: additional 1.5 millimeter uh, inner yeah. rim? <laughs> yeah, 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 I do. And, but it's got to be the same weight and the same strength. Is there a carbon uh, variety that you can uh, explore? I don't know. Uh, carbon rims. And uh, don't they make the 280? Isn't that their carbon one? It's like one millimeter wider or something. Why didn't I get that, Liam?
0: They don't make it in 24 hole, huh? So it ends up being heavier. There's
2: you some reason. You didn't express this desire. That's why. Yeah. You didn't think about it until now until he asked you.
1: You actually ordered the rims and I built the bike around the rims or around the wheels. Yeah. That's how this one worked. Okay. Well, who knows? We're we're in the weeds. We're
0: in the weeds. (laughs) Get out of the weeds. (laughs) Um, Let's, let's answer quickly a few audience questions uh, and then, and then we'll close it out. So um, let's see the uh, first one we have here. Suspension. What are your thoughts on running a slightly heavier spring rate with the compression open as opposed to a lower spring rate with more compression damping? Cheers, Phil's McCracken. Phil McCracken. I wonder if that's really Phil's last name, McCracken. That's a cool last name. Anyways, Liam, answer that in 30 seconds.
1: Um, So this is referring to a coil suspension by spring rate. If it was air, it would be air pressure. Um, But... To answer the question, I suggest going with a heavier spring rate or a little more air pressure with compression wide open. Um, I agree. Being that dialing in your compression is kind of like choking off your power to your car. Um, You're forcing oil to go through smaller circuits or more tightly squeezed shim stacks uh, and therefore increasing the wear on your fork and could make it need a rebuild sooner. Um, Also, I think it feels just a little bit better being a little bit more wide open and just controlling your spring rate um, to what kind of fits your weight. Yeah. Um, You're just getting like the feel of the damper that was intended rather than
0: like the compression down And then if
1: if you're, you know, that's kind of how you have it set up for most trails. So you go to a bike park, you have the room to dial in some compression clicks, Yep. um, which is usually what I do. I go ride some more jumps, I add some compression clicks. Um, I don't really change my pressure really yep
0: agreed jared i would have to
2: agree i pretty much run my compression wide open as well or whatever liam tells me to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's usually the best way to go
0: yeah we get to cheat because we just have so many people that are so knowledgeable about bike stuff that we can just yeah ping ideas around and get advice really quickly um all right so this gentleman asks josh um uh, so he says, uh, Hi, I heard Jeff and Liam talking about tires on the Revel Rangers. Y'all are building up. And I was curious if either of you run tube inserts such as Cushcore. core. Uh, my answer to that, which you can probably guess now, of how much a weight weaning I am about cutting the whole cog off the cassette. No way. Absolutely not. Um, I, I just would, I don't know. I run alloy rims. I occasionally ding them. Um, but on a more like downcountry style bike like that, I'm running a decent bit of PSI to stay sort of efficient. And I don't know, I'm just not riding it on like brutally rocky, bumpy trails. But I guess my, my thought would be like if I'm riding that bike on trails and I'm dinging the rims all the time, then I should probably just ride a longer travel bike. Um, or then maybe I would put cush Core in it, but I'm just not doing that. So I just don't ding the rims often. So therefore, not going to run Kush Core and deal with the weight penalty or the installation hassle. But Liam, you definitely do run CushCore, but probably not on your Ranger, right?
1: Um, not, like, consistently. CushCore um, is more of a thing. I try to not run the insert for most riding and just choose tire casing for my riding. So on the, down con- on the downcountry Ranger, I run just EXO tires. Um, but say I am taking that bike somewhere, maybe like a big backcountry ride or on a trip, I might throw CushCore XC in the rear. Just to kind of up the uh, dirt ability and, uh, you know, kind of not get a flat tire miles away from my car. Um, I'm a big tire nerd and weight nerd, and sometimes I'll run like a lighter casing rear tire, like an Ardent or an Icon, so a Cushcore XC in it, Um just to kind of get faster rolling speed, and but the weight kind of comes out to be the same as say like an aggressor or DHR. Yeah, but uh, yeah. not all the time. It's kind of more of a situational thing when I run tire inserts. Jared, yeah. do you run them?
2: I have never actually experienced the tire inserts. Um, I typically would just go up to a thicker casing. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Because like installation wise too, Cushcore is not the easiest to install.
1: You know, yeah. that's what I've heard. Yeah. The funniest is when you do get a big slash and you have to put a tube in, how do you get that cush core down the mountain? Oh, wrap it around your you waist. Wrap, you, you like figure a ninja eight belt. Eight, figure it <laughs> around your shoulders and now you have a cush core backpack going covered down. Covered in sealant. <laughs> yeah, covered in sealant of your nice hundred R jersey. Oh my gosh.
0: Oh, yeah. Hopefully that doesn't happen. So. Not yeah. all the time. There
1: you go. Yeah, cushcore is
0: it's certainly popular, but I think it's it's more popular on like the enduro style yeah. scene of things,
1: um, and not as much on the down country. Scene. If I was racing enduro or downhill, I'd absolutely be running one. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, that's important to note. Yeah. Yeah. Just for um, reliability for race day. Yeah, because I mean, say you flat in the middle of a stage, you can kind of run it out on one of those, um, and not have to like stop. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If I was racing, maybe whenever I've I've thought about doing it when I go to race uh, Downingville, running a lighter weight tire like an Icon or Arden Race or a Recon now, with a XC Cush Core, kind of for that race day situation. Yeah. Um.
0: Cool. Yeah, it's good. Good advice right there. Uh, last question, have you ever loved a bike that is bad for you? So this question comes from Michael Friedel. Um He kind of goes on to explain that he's got a 1996 hardtail that he absolutely loves, even though he kind of knows his riding position is cramped and it's, you know, the reach is too short, BB's too high, etc. cetera. Um, but, you know, kind of at the end of the day, he just says he loves it, feels comfortable on it. And so my, my thought on that is, you know, I think – You get used to anything, right? As humans, you just adapt and get used to things and and bikes are no different. When you ride a certain bike, you totally get used to it and feel really comfortable on it. And if you only ride that bike and you ride it, the longer you ride that only one bike, like the more you're going to adapt to it and the more weird a different bike is going to feel. So yes, you can fall in love with an old bike because um, you're so comfortable on it. Because at the end of the day, what you feel comfortable on and you're used to, you can kind of predict how it's going to react, right? Like that's a big part of how bikes work is like you can predict, oh, I'm going to hit this and go over the bars or oh, I'm not, or I know when the traction is going to break free or I know um, you know, if my crank's going to hit this rock as I'm pedaling up through this technical section. Like once you really learn the thing and it kind of becomes one with your body, you get comfortable on it and then you feel good on it and when you feel good, you ride good and everything goes great. Um, but if you were to swap off the 1996 hardtail, it's going to feel awkward at first. And just like any new bike is, um, you're going to go through that sort of, I call it like the squid phase. Like when I change bikes, I just feel sort of awkward and uncomfortable on it for, I don't know, maybe a couple hours worth of seat time until it starts feeling comfortable. And then, you know, five, 10 hours in, I feel really good. And I'm like back to it and got used to it. So I don't know. You have to go through that awkward phase to adapt to new bikes um, yeah, it's just part of the process, and that awkward phase is longer and harder to deal with and put up with the longer you've been riding your old bike, and how different it is versus the new bike. So, I don't know what you, is that similar take that you have. Yeah. Did I nail that answer
1: or what? Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think you need to have fun on your bike and whatever bike yeah. that is. that's the whole point of riding mountain bikes. Ride that, that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, can you have more fun on newer bike? Maybe. But some some people really love riding rigid single speeds. Yeah, and that's yeah. What they at the end of the day, like on, you know? you're just having fun, yeah. right? So um, if you're comfortable, just yeah, keep riding it. If you are wanting to upgrade, but you're like finding yourself every time you demo bike or ride a newer bike, you just feel uncomfortable. You just gotta give it time. Yeah, I mean yeah, the gear has evolved for time, a reason. Just gotta yeah. get
0: used to it. Go through that awkward phase. Yep.
1: Yeah, Um, you can, you can go mid modern too if you're you know in that situation want to step and. You know, dropper posts and wide bars and good tires make a huge difference and you can still be on a hardtail, so.
0: Yep. Jared?
2: Yeah. I would. I would say, yes, I have had a bike that I loved that was bad for me. Well, maybe not bad for me, but it was probably my Y Cycles R Plus mm. gravel bike. Like, I loved riding it. But every time I finished riding it, I felt like I finished, like, MMA fight. Like, my neck was killing me, my whole body. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I that like, would oh be God, any I'm gravel dying. bike at all because yeah. you, that was the only drop bar bike you've had ever? Well, no, I've had, like, road bikes. Okay. like But, you know, um, probably, yeah, the bike I rode the most that was, like, that kind of style yeah. drop bar bike. But, yeah, just, like, oh, man, I just could never get up, get over, like, having my neck just, like, in that crazy yep. contorted position, and this like, is
0: this is the same thing every mountain biker says about any drop bar bike. <laughs> oh, my neck is in this contorted position, and like blah, yeah. blah, blah. <laughs>
2: no, wait, I love that bike. You know, Liam, yeah. Liam, you have one, right? Yeah, I love yeah, that. It's an awesome one. bike, like probably the coolest gravel yeah. bike, you know.
0: But it's hard to, But I bet you, if you kept riding the drop bar bike, it would eventually like adapt to you, and you'd feel good on it, right? So exactly, you didn't give it long enough time. Probably not. Which to me, I've, i I would never either. I just refuse to ride drop bar bikes. I can't do it because I feel how you feel. I'm just like, nope, <laughs> not doing it. Like, yeah. just
2: put flat bars on. And then you thing. get home from the ride and you're just like, oh, just well, hand I'm, me everything. Just <laughs> the sandwich. Just, of so just way of riding
1: gravel is not um, right. what the term gravel usually yeah, that's entails. That's you are more of an adventurer mm-hmm. on a flat bar skinny tire bike.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, We're going to make a YouTube video about my quote unquote
0: gravel bike, which is pretty much just a rigid mountain bike yeah. at that point.
2: Skinny tire, full rigid
1: yeah
0: i mean there's no there's no definition no. of like what a gravel bike has to be or what it has to be ridden on and you know i kind of you know prefer to ride mine a little bit more like a mountain bike even though
1: it's still rigid and has 700 by 42c yeah. tires and i ride mine more like a road bike where i'm not near cars yeah so i yeah that makes a, sense yeah i choose long fire roads and mm-hmm. you know link That's up more different common sections. for yeah what it's definitely more, is, more common right? yeah yeah But I do go right Jeff You just have to make sure You bring lots of water Food, snacks Long sleeves Pants <laughs> uh, Toilet First paper aid. Because you're out there All day First day's not a bad idea I've never brought that Jared But I should I, Yeah <laughs> 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 yeah, I like to plan
0: adventurous gravel rides on trails that I don't know. Um, and I I find it fun to like map this whole loop out and not even look at the elevation graph at all. So, like, I and most of uh, like sometimes they're hiking trails, and I don't know, it's just more excitement, you know. You're gonna be like, like when we, we, I don't even remember the name of that trail we rode up or didn't ride up, we pushed, we hiked our bikes on our backup because it was oh, so from, steep from
1: PCH, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It, but it, it looked rad, and I was like, oh, yeah, we'll just cut up this way, and then we'll cut through into this canyon, and then we. Get there, and I was like, you know, you're not climbing this. You're like basically have your fingertips on the ground as you're walking up it with your bike <laughs> on your back.
1: To, so. to encompass Jeff's gravel rides, it's a hike. I brought my bike on. Yeah, <laughs> only sometimes. <laughs> sometimes
2: Exciting not. in that you might die <laughs> yeah. from exhaustion and re stroke. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. To me, that's to me that's fun. That's, I've always made it back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Liam's fine. So far, Zach
0: was the only one who like. <laughs> he was he was pissed at that one point when I took him on one of those rides. I thought I was like, "This he's our friendship might be over." we were talking he, to you again. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, "I
2: was like, literally,
0: like I'm gonna have to apologize yeah. like <laughs> profusely after this one." I felt bad. He really because he well he also just bonked out like had no food and when you get to that stage like. No matter where you are, what bike you're on, you're mm. like just unhappy and hangry. I don't know how we got on this whole topic, but there's your answer, Michael, Fridell. Hopefully that was that was useful for you.
2: Um, real quick, to close it out, what are we riding? You guys already know what I'm riding. I just talked about it. Jared, go. Uh, well, I just got back from a Sedona trip maybe about a week ago. Rode my SB150 out there. My Yeti SB150, mm. excuse me. Yeti Cycles, um, SB150,
0: 150, 150 yeah. mil travel, 170 the front, 29-inch wheels.
2: RockShox Zeb. Push, 11.6, Rishak, I9 wheels. He's the son of a dentist. I happen to work at a great <laughs> bike shop called the Worldwide Cycle Read. And
0: I, I always say that because yeah. he actually is the son, of a, a son of a
2: dentist. But, yeah, had a great trip. Rode that bike out there. Um, did Highline. Really cool loop. Yeah. That, Sedona's um, amazing. Incorporated Such that trail. Such a good place. Yeah. yeah. Loved, I just love riding out there. Yeah. I was riding that out there. It was a great time. Sweet.
1: Liam, mm. what do you got? I went over mine last week. Same thing? Both bikes. Yep. Still on a Yeti SP-130. but That's getting replaced soon, but I'll leave that. It's not built yet. And then my Revel Ranger, which I'm having a Come lot on, of fun on. Come on, just tell
0: them what you're going to do. So few people make it to the very end of the podcast. Right, just so give them the little <laughs> Give them the tease. i do so a Revel Rail as a mullet build. Woo! Which is a um, 165 20. mil travel, 27.5 bike. And by
1: mullet, he means he's going to put a 29-inch wheel on the front. Yeah, so I'm going to adjust the suspension a little bit, um, adjust stack. Uh, it'll be cool. Running Revel RW30 wheels. Crazy. so they, they built me up some 2.9 front, 27.5 rear for this. So The Revel yeah. Fusion Fiber. Yes, Fusion Fiber wheels. Yeah.
0: So yep. kind of like carbon fiber, but made without epoxy. Yes. We have a whole YouTube video on it. It's actually pretty cool. It's a recyclable carbon rim. So when you break it, you can actually use it again. Well, shred it down and make tire levers and other various things out of it. You don't yeah. have to throw it in a landfill like what happens to all their carbon rims. So that's pretty interesting. Rebel's all about making their whole supply chain and bikes more green and eco friendly over the years. So,
1: yeah. So maybe we'll get more info on that once I actually build it, make it a real thing, and figure out the little details that I need to mess with. Mm -hmm.
0: So, it's going to be an interesting bike. Another weird one that uh, I think people will get interested and intrigued about on the interwebs when we put it out there. And if you've made it this far on the podcast, thank you. And now you got the little, you're the, you're the first people to know about Liam's secret. He's not even, you do not even tell like half the people that work here. You're just like hiding <laughs> it from everyone. <laughs>
2: i'm excited on <laughs> my bike i'm like yeah, so yeah, it's, gonna, yeah. it's gonna be cool i think it's, it's
0: gonna, gonna be look, sick i think it's gonna look rad yeah uh, i'm excited to give it a rip too because i haven't
1: ridden a mullet bike so i never have either fun. so i figured why not <laughs> oh i thought you'd run one no. and that's why <laughs> oh wow, you really just going for it i'm Taking really going for it yeah sick i, lo- I love Revel bikes and i love how they feel so i'm gonna try it on their bikes because yeah I've, the rail does the rail, ride the rail nice, feels so. so good but i'm i mean i'll just be honest i like having the 2.9 front wheel it gives you a lot of confidence and yep. riding a lot of steep stuff i don't want to ride a 27.5 bike down it so yeah this is the best of uh where i can get the 2.9 front and revel long travel out back
0: incredible well thank you for listening genuinely appreciate it we will see you guys never see you guys hear you guys talk to you guys mm-hmm. in the next podcast episode which will be number 79 coming out. I have no idea when I would like to thank Jared and Liam and especially DJ Green Machine, formerly DJ Pineapple. <laughs> so we're calling him DJ Green Machine today because he's wearing a green hoodie and green pants that are like a very similar shade of green. Uh, it's Mr. Scott Jackson. Scott, make sure to send this ending part of this clip to all your friends. So they can hear you. You about your. They can hear about your outfit today. <laughs> DJ Green Machine, formerly DJ Pineapple, and thank you, Mr. Adam Englander, who helps on the production side of things here and has been patiently waiting as we rambled on on this podcast way longer than planned. See you guys later. Bye. 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 Ramble
2: on.